This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those at the table with Jesus. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept a common purse, used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and mercy be yours through Jesus. Amen. I'm going to jump around a little bit today, not, not physically, but uh, rhetorically. I'll, I'll try to bring you with me when I make those jumps. I'm not sure I can approach this any other way today. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's staying where he always stays. He's staying in a little town called Bethany. It's just outside the city, just up the hill from the Mount of Olives. He's staying in Bethany because he always stays at the home of Lazarus and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. Knowing that he's coming, knowing that he's going to be there and sensing that something is happening and it's never going to be the same after this, Mary and Martha decide with Lazarus to throw a party, a dinner, in honor of Jesus. Now, Martha is one of those people who has this incredible gift of hospitality. And everybody in town knows that. She's thrown some fabulous dinners in the past. And so if you're invited to this dinner, you, you definitely accept. It's easy. A dinner party at Martha's house with her sister Mary there and her brother Lazarus, who had been just raised from the dead. All the disciples, including Judas, And in the middle of all that, a guest of honor, Jesus. Now, if if, if I had been there, I, I would have wanted to be focused on Jesus. But since the church is a place for truth telling, I, I need to share that I, I, I would have been trying really hard not to be looking at the desserts that Martha had made. And I'd be really trying not to get drawn into the conflict that the disciples are clearly engaged in name calling. 
I would be trying to look at Jesus, the, the rabbi, the teacher from Galilee, the master. But the truth is that I, I'm sure I would be staring at Lazarus. I mean, the last time that Jesus was in Bethany, we were all outside this same house wailing and, and crying And Lazarus had been dead three days. They had already buried him. And Jesus called out, come out. And Lazarus unwrapped the burial clothes and came out. And then Jesus told everyone, don't tell anyone, which of course never works. And so I I would be looking at Lazarus. I would be looking at his skin the Bible said his skin had already begun to decompose and to smell. I'd be looking at his eyes that had just like stared straight forward in death. I'd be listening to his voice to see if it even sounded like him. I'd be hoping for some clue, some laughter, something to make sure that it was really him come to life. As a pastor, one of the privileges we are blessed to have is to see people whose lives are changed, who are, who are brought back to life by the good news of Jesus. And we're going to talk a lot about that during Eastertide. But, but when it happens, when, when people's lives are changed, when they're transformed, when they come to life in Christ, it is noticeable. You can see it. And so I, I don't know if at this dinner, Jesus might have felt upstaged a little bit. If I had been there that day at Martha's feet, I would have been focused on Lazarus, who candidly, make sure you get this, who didn't do a single thing. He once was dead, now he's alive, but he didn't do anything. Jesus is the guest of honor. Here comes one of those jumps. First time I remember my father crying, I'm sure he did before that, but I I just never saw it is after a frantic trip from Montreal. We were at something called Expo 67, a World's Fair. We were privileged to be working at the Boy Scout, the International Boy Scout exhibit. And we were in the car driving through the night to Youngstown, Ohio, where my grandfather had had a stroke. Um, This is the day before cell phones. And so it took a couple days to get the message to my my father. It took my father about 10 minutes to throw everything in a suitcase and get in the car. I vaguely remember my grandfather lying in a hospital bed. Uh, Mind you, my grandfather was a strapping hulk of a man. Uh, I keep his picture in my office on the wall. Um, He never finished elementary school. He started work in a blast furnace and worked his way up to supervisor to eventually being superintendent of all of USD on Youngstown. Second grade education. And I remember my father after my grandfather had lied there for several days, lathering up a shaving brush and shaving my grandfather. And my dad said something like, I'm certain this will make you feel better, Dad. And I remember both of them had tears come down their eyes. And I couldn't process that. I couldn't process. Um, Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. We all share a common humanity. All men are mortal. My grandfather recovered, lived almost another decade, but never was the strong man that that I knew. My younger siblings never knew the grandfather that that I knew. 
So let me jump with you one, one more time now. <clears throat> in another age, here in Columbus, but a long time ago, I used to do some volunteering in hospitals on behalf of a group that's called Stonewall Union, uh, LGBT advocacy group. Scenario was almost always exactly the same. I was privileged to do it. A couple of long-term, same-gendered, partnered people. One of them in the hospital at the edge of death, engaged in an end-of-life legal battle with fundamentalist parents. And I'm going to let that sit there for just a moment so you can kind of sink in the pain of that. One of the things that hospitals knew intuitively was that it just works better rather than calling in the attorneys to call in a pastor at that moment. And I learned that there are sisters and brothers who do love Jesus and who love the world who had never heard someone in authority in the church say that God loves everyone unconditionally. And as a result of that, having never heard that in a church, and as a result of their need to scapegoat to explain the problems of the world, a whole lot of sisters and brothers had to live in closets of pain and and hurt. That's changing, thank God. At any rate, I vividly remember a visit, a gay man in a long relationship, full-blown AIDS, life quickly deteriorating, unable to speak. His partner shared how every waking moment when not working, he would care for him. He was the only one that he had. They had each other. He shared how their families had both abandoned them many years ago. And even though his parents might be out in the lobby right now, they hadn't spoken to him for more than a decade. And he shared how he had fed him and made sure he took his medicine and cleaned him like a baby and rubbed his skin with salve. And he said, Pastor, I won't even be allowed to go to the funeral. Jump back now with me um, to the feast and the honor of Jesus at Lazarus' house. Lazarus is doing in Scripture what he always does, nothing. Martha is doing what she always does in Scripture, serving, showering others with blessings, using her gifts. Me and you, we're doing what we always do in Scripture. We're just gawking. We're just watching. And now into that mix comes Mary, who's doing what she always does. What do you do for someone when there's nothing else you can do for them? Hmm. I've been there. I've been there with some of you. It's hard to explain sometimes outside of the situation why someone actually needs a shave. Why would their sores need rubbed? Mary breaks out a bottle. Might be something she'd had in her hope chest for many years. A bottle of aromatic, oily perfume, some kind of ointment. Who knows what she paid for it? It's worth a fortune now. And while Martha is scurrying around caring for others, while I am gawking at Lazarus, and while Lazarus is sitting there doing nothing, She bends down and she pours this oil, all of it, all over his feet. And the whole room is just filled with the fragrance of cardamom or rose or patchouli. It just fills the whole room. And what she does next is inexplicable. She bends down over his feet. In my mind, no doubt, 
tears dripping on his feet as well. She wipes the feet of Jesus, tenderly caring for Jesus. What she does is remind everybody in the room of the gift of the one who is still there. What she does is remind everyone that yes, there is one God and he's sitting right here, dying. What she does is tells everyone how much she loves him before she's not going to have another chance to tell anyone. And it is, it's an awkward, awkward silence. It's seared into their memory so much so that John tells it again today. It's Judas, it's always Judas who takes the rap for what frankly we would be thinking. If she's going to waste all that kind of money, why not give it to the homeless shelter, to LSS, or to at least Lord of Life's buddy bags or something? We're just back from a great visit with our grandchildren in Jacksonville. Uh, it's always great to be with them. We were able to forward them some sacrifice beams from kids in our congregation. Life Passage Director Chris always sets out a little care package for me when we're done. Mike and Laura Krieger were floating through Florida. They, they dropped them off for us. These little lima beans, you take a little purple pen, you put a cross on them. And every time you give up something or do something good, you put them in a jar. And then on Easter, uh, someone miraculously transforms them into jelly beans. Not a bad deal, lima beans to jelly beans. And so they are, they are very motivated about giving up and, and, and doing things. Uh, I have to tell you that Avery's decision to give up donuts for Lent was a little hard on Grandpa. <laughs> we had this great little discussion about, well, why are you doing this? What's the purpose of giving up things for Lent? And they asked, well, aren't you doing that? Well, we are. We, uh, we are giving up 40 things for Lent, each one of us. 40 things not that are trash we're trying to get rid of, but 40 things that someone else might use. Uh, frankly, I'm not doing that well in that. Uh, I'm on the journey. The danger of giving up things for Lent is that you somehow think you're, you're doing something or you're earning God's grace. So let, let us make sure on this last Sunday of Lent that we do not forget old Lazarus sitting there doing nothing, brought back to life. And let's make sure we don't forget Martha, busy, busy, busy serving others to the point that even Jesus had to remind her there's something else. And let's not get all caught up in what things cost. Let's just try to do what Mary does. That is, keep our eyes on Jesus, who has done everything for us and for whom we can do nothing. Let's, 